Hello, and welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Benny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. The new year is officially underway and it's the perfect time to start thinking about your vision for what you would like 2022 to look like for you and who you would like to be at this time next year. If you'd like a little help with this process, head over to carolinemorris.com vision for a free visioning exercise you can do to help you figure out who you want to be this time next year. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to my dear friend and colleague, Christine Crawford. Christine and I have worked together for the better part of the last six or seven years. It's hard to keep track now. She is an occupational therapist with a lot of experience working with people with neurological conditions. And we are co-conspirators when it comes to trying to incorporate health and wellness and overall well-being into any aspect of our professional work. So she's now pursuing her doctorate in occupational therapy with a big focus on health promotion there. And Christine's also been working with me in the data monitoring aspect of my business as well. If that is of interest to you, you can listen back to episodes four and five when we talk about what type of health data can be monitored. And today, Christine and I thought it would be good to talk about isolation, social isolation, and its effects on us with special emphasis on what what can happen in the older adult. We thought this was relevant given the the global climate right now, both both the literal climate being winter time and also all of the different types of quarantine and restrictions that are going on. And then our conversation quickly touched on winter itself and seasonal affective disorder. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. I think it's an important one at this time of year for us to to have some awareness of how the outside world can impact us and what we can do about it. Enjoy. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to be with you. We've both got our cups of coffee and we're ready to go (laughs) on this cold winter morning. I know. I think it's about as cold where you are as it is where I am. So we're in it together. What's the weather like in Kansas today? I think the wind chill this morning is 11 degrees. Yeah, that's cold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know even the dogs didn't want to go out last night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about yourself by way of introduction? Sure. So my name is Christine Crawford. I am an occupational therapist. And prior to moving out to the Kansas area about six months ago, I worked in outpatient adult neurorehabilitation. So that's any type of diagnosis that affects the brain or spinal cord, predominantly with stroke survivors, though I saw a myriad of diagnoses. And since moving out to Kansas, I decided to pursue my doctorate and transition to PRN, where I see patients who are in an acute setting, and it could be any diagnosis under the sun. So it's been a bit of a learning curve for me, but it's been very cool going through my doctorate program as I do that because I feel like it's helped open up a lens in a way that I didn't have before. And it's also offered opportunities to investigate avenues that I otherwise wouldn't have had time to do. So being able to do things like podcasts with you or different health adventures, doing some things with the health promotions department on healthy aging. So it's, it's been a fun adventure, even though I didn't necessarily want to come out here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you were relocated with your husband's work to Kansas, but then found ways to still develop your career and goals with the constraints of not being in Northern Virginia anymore. Right, right. Yep. And life has a way of, you know, guiding the path that you didn't think this path was going to be the path. And then you get on that path and you realize, I think I just sent uh, one of our supervisors a letter and I talked about making lemonade and lemon bars and lemon soda and lemon cake and everything you possibly can out of those lemons. And in the end, as long as you can have that lens, I think it really helps. And you might even discover some cooler things you didn't, you didn't even know. So I think that can apply to our topic today also um, with regard to isolation and how do we make positives out of some of these things? Yeah, I think that fits really nicely because you are experiencing a sort of geographic isolation from your family, your friends, your community that you established over several years. And so you've got that on top of what's going on across the world. So I think that makes you a great person to talk through some of these things, as well as your training as an occupational therapist. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So where should we begin this morning? Are you wanting to kind of focus on the aging aspects or focusing on kind of the isolation aspects first? Does it matter what direction we go? Let's talk about isolation in general and why it's a problem for humans. So we are naturally communal creatures. And for whatever direction people want to take that for themselves, whether that's a destiny, a plan, a divine intervention, for whatever reason, we are communal. We need each other. I think it is fascinating to look at some of the psychological literature on how imperative love and connection are to our development. So even, you know, starting as an infant, you need physical touch, you need love and interaction, or else your brain does not develop correctly. So it's 
I mean, it's, it's critical. It's not just nice to have, it's imperative for development. And that follows us throughout life. I know we were talking a little bit earlier about the prison system and the use of solitary confinement for punishment or for interrogation purposes. And there's a reason why they choose isolation for some of those things. And it's because they know it can break down a person psychologically. And that's when, you know, you've been thrown into a situation, whether it should have been or should not have been, you know, you're, you're put in that position in, in a prison system. But now with the pandemic, we find that we're all having to experience that and we didn't ask for it. And we don't feel we deserve it because we didn't do anything to get in trouble, you know, type of mentality. And so you just find yourself in this unfair world and we are isolated. Our friends and family are isolated. And to add on top of that, we've seen a lot of death around us. And so, I mean, in terms of isolation and having to manage psychological trauma, it's compounded, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think having a whole population go through it at the same time and in some ways is good and that are relatively good and that there's a shared experience and, you know, one person isn't necessarily singled out. But then on the flip side, there's not a whole lot of emotional reserve for each of us to help the other people or feel comfortable asking for help too when we know everyone else is going through something hard. Absolutely. And I think that in some ways it's built into our culture that, you know, we're expected to be tough and to be able to handle it. And I think with some of the younger generations, hopefully we're starting to see that change a little bit. But for some of our folks that might be on the older end, it was especially ingrained in those cultures that you're tough, you deal with it, you don't ask for help. And we need help from people. So I think it's really important. I agree with you. I think all of us going through this together is definitely better than going through it alone. But realizing that maybe some of our populations are more at risk for the impact psychologically than others of us is important to think about and consider. So what are the populations that you are most concerned about right now? Definitely our older populations because they are more limited in access. They may not be as technologically savvy. So being able to get on things like Zoom or reading articles on the computer to help them stay connected. Although I have met many who are probably better at technology than me, but as a whole, that group just didn't grow up with technology. So they may not know the access to resources or being able to interact with people. And mobility may be a factor, safety of being able to get out, you know, especially in the winter. So we definitely see an increase in mental health issues with our folks on the older end of the spectrum. Not to say that there are younger folks not experiencing those issues as well. But I think for right now, that's one of our target populations that we need to make sure we keep an eye on. Yeah. I remember even before all of this happened, having a fall off in my patients in physical therapy in the winter months, because some of them just didn't want to risk walking or driving outside to those appointments when it was 
bad weather conditions and they would just kind of hibernate themselves for the winter, you know, even before contagions were around. Right. It's like they have a double whammy because even before winter, they were fearful to come out because of the prevalence of the COVID-19. And you would typically get a reprieve after the winter and you could come out in the spring and see people. But for two years now, they've had to be more cautious and stay more isolated. Mm -hmm. So what do you see? We've kind of established why they're at risk. Is it something we just have to accept and live with? Or are there things that we can do for ourselves or for each other to help minimize some of these negative effects of isolation? There are absolutely things that we can do. I think mental health in general, as we age, we don't have to experience some of the the challenges that we do. And especially during a pandemic, there are strategies that we can take, whether it's reaching out to loved ones, getting onto some online groups, Many of the articles I read talked about a holistic approach and how important it is to have multiple avenues. Physical exercise is extremely important. Exercise is helpful not only because it helps maintain your body strength, but it gives you a psychological boost. It kind of boosts those endorphins and hormones in your body that help you manage mood and health and things like that. So I think a a holistic approach of exercise, getting good sleep, making sure you have at least one social outlet. Those are the the main trifecta. Is there anything you could think of that we should add to that? I know you had mentioned to me in the past, just having a routine established for the day. I know as an occupational therapist, daily activities and daily occupations are our wheelhouse. And I think a lot of those things we take for granted until we can no longer do them. And suddenly they become very important, but they're also a part of our our built-in identity. You know, I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, I make my bed, I get my coffee, I tidy something in the house. I have either a work-related thing, a volunteer thing, or a hobby thing. We I think we forget just how critical those things are and and making that point, getting back to the solitary confinement. When I was reading about a prisoner who had to endure solitary confinement for like 40 years, he said the way he mentally made it through was by just doing his daily activities. Every day he got up, he cleaned his room, he made his bed, he did body weight exercises for about an hour. So even though he was in solitary confinement and had nothing to use, he figured out ways to physically exercise. So absolutely, those daily occupations that we take for granted are really important in maintaining in a structured fashion. And I think with the pandemic, it's been really easy for a lot of us to fall out of our structure. And I don't know about you, all of us handle it a little differently. My husband seems to do pretty well not having much structure and it doesn't seem to bother him too much. But for me, after about a week of no structure, I just realize, oh my gosh, you're still in your pajamas at three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh my gosh, you're still drinking coffee at 12 or, you know, whatever. And it's this 
easy little slip that you don't even realize is happening until all of a sudden you realize you're kind of in a funk and you go, huh, how do I get myself back out of that? And I don't know about everyone else, but my initial instinct is I need to get myself ready every day. Even if I'm not leaving the house, I need to get out of my pajamas. I need to wash my face and brush my hair and act like I need to do something today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, just doing that alone. I think they've done research on that too, actually, and how important it is to get yourself ready. That psychologically, just knowing I am physically ready helps you take on the day. That makes sense. I know I fall in and out of structure pretty easily. I think I view structure as kind of like a scaffold, or sometimes I think of it as like a garden trellis for everything else to grow off of. I don't like it just for the sake of being regimented. So I do resonate with the slippery slope where when I don't have external accountability or external time constraints, things can really fall off one by one very quickly. But I do find that once I choose something to add back in structure wise, then it's like a slippery upward slope too of things start to get a lot better. And like you said, for you, it's getting ready, like getting yourself dressed is how you restart. And I think there are a lot of avenues we can choose for how to how to restart our structure and still get the benefits. Mm-hmm. And I think getting back to some of the populations that might be more at risk, when you don't have a reason to get up every day, you know, typically I would be working full time. I would have, whether I wanted to get up or not. And what's funny is no, there are days when I didn't want to have to get up, but, but now that I know the opposite side of things, I think I'll have a better appreciation <laughs> for not wanting to get up. But you know, once you retire, you don't necessarily have to get up to go to work. You don't have to get up to go anywhere if you don't want to. And I think one of the important things that we should try to do, maybe not every day, but maybe at least two to three days a week, you put something on the calendar that makes you have to get up and have to get ready and ideally leave the house, honestly. Even if it's if you're concerned during the pandemic about going somewhere, try to walk outside or find a place, you know, by a window in your house where you can sit and read and you you just try to pick whatever that activity is that you make yourself get up. And having an accountability partner is also really important. So if there is at least one person who says, I'm going to call you every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 830 a.m., you know, you need to be up because you need to be ready to talk to that person or to go to the grocery store, whatever it is that you decide. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. I had a little experience myself with too much unstructured time when I had graduated PT school in August and the way the licensure exams work for physical therapy is they're only offered three or four times a year. So I had to wait until mid to late October to take my board exams. So I had this two, two and a half month, three month gap by the time I started working and I did, I did coach field hockey. So I had my afternoon activity but I had to learn how to manage those early mornings because at a certain point, I just couldn't study anymore. You know, when you just like don't need to read the material anymore. And this will 
make me probably sound like a cliche of an older, maybe an older person, but I latched on to some daytime TV shows that I liked and that structured my day when I knew <laughs> Steve Harvey came on at two o'clock. So I had to have all my chores done by then. And then, but then I also got to the point too, when I just knew way too much about daytime television that I was like, I got to do something else with my life too. I know. And back in the day, I feel like there used to be some decent things and I don't watch much TV these days, but yeah. The content on television, we could get on a whole topic on the we content could. of television these days too. But, but so that is a good point though. I think even having the structure of knowing, Hey, I have a favorite television show I want to watch is great because for some people, that's a great source of enjoyment. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're balancing it with physical activity. Mm-hmm. I recently heard an article about how you could exercise for an hour a day, but if you're sitting for eight to 10 hours a day, you've completely undone everything that you did. And obviously you being a young student, you're teaching field hockey, you are certainly physically active doing your chores, but I feel like for some, and honestly, I love my dad, but my very own dad kind of falls in this category. He retired and he thought, oh, this is great. I can sit and drink my coffee and watch all of my shows all day long that I didn't get to watch while I was working. And I have to remind him, Hey, you need to get up. You need to exercise. You need to do chores. You can enjoy those shows and those help structure your day, but make sure you're doing things in between. Or like I tell my patients in the hospital, whenever the commercial breaks come on, you need to have a little exercise series that you do during the commercials And then when the show comes on, you can sit and relax and watch it. But if you watch, you know, a couple of shows, you're probably building in at least 30 minutes worth of exercise if you do something during each commercial break. Yeah, I remember doing that too with my uh, my sabbatical is what I called that time in my (laughs) life. (laughs) It's good to have those though. It is. So would you say for someone who is feeling like they're off because of the isolation and just not right. If there's one approach that's best to start with, like the activity or the social interact, physical activity, social interaction. And what was your third one besides the routine? Oh, sleep. Sleep. In fact, I was reading an article yesterday about how social isolation impacts your sleep quality And Mm -hmm. I had not thought about that. And I didn't read into detail what may cause that, but I surmise that changes in your hormonal levels, possibly. So if you are starting to feel depression or anxiety, then you can have this uneven wave of brain chemicals happening at night, like your cortisol levels, which are your stress hormones can actually peak at night, which wakes you up. So it's really fascinating to see how everything is connected. If you are not physically active, then your body responds in a certain way that increases your stress and you're more sedentary that can impact your sleep quality. And so I think grabbing at least one and saying, okay, this week, my goal is I'm going to do X out of this trifecta of things because trying to take on all of them at once might feel overwhelming. 
And especially if you're in a place where you are starting to feel that funk, whether it's something you associate with seasonal affective disorder or just isolation, or if you feel it's truly depression, it's a big deal. And it, it's very common and it's okay to, to label that and go, I think that this is the place I'm in. Where is my lifeline? What rope can I grab that I feel the most in control of? Could I walk around my house for 15 minutes? Even a 10 to 15 minute burst of physical activity can have benefits on your brain chemistry, your, how you feel psychologically. So maybe every day you start a little chart that, okay, I'm going to walk for 15 minutes every day. And then you might find, Hey, I can do this for 20. Hey, I can do this for 30. And by increasing your physical activity, you improve your sleep quality because then hopefully your body is starting to get that fatigue that it's ready to go to bed at night. So I think just grasping onto whichever one is easiest for you to grab and try to build from there. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion because especially when we we may have fallen down that slippery slippery slope of losing structure, everything can seem so overwhelming and so to just choose what we one want to do. Right. And, and two is easy to relatively easy to implement can be a great place to start. I find just setting my alarm, you know, as I started feeling like, oh gosh, I've gotten into this place where, you know, how did I get here? <laughs> how, how am I still in my pajamas at three o'clock in the afternoon that I told myself, okay, tomorrow I'm setting my alarm for eight. I'm getting up at eight, even if I don't have anything formally on my agenda and I'm washing my face, brushing my teeth, getting my coffee and getting into clothes. And it's amazing what a difference, just those things. Once you're up and going, you're like, oh, I'm up and going. All right. And that can really help kind of, you know, catapult you into probably achieving more that day than you even thought you were going to. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I do want to backtrack just a second, Christine, and note that I'll put a screen for a, not a dementia, a depression screen in the show notes. So if people are wondering if what they're feeling is correlated with the condition, formal condition of depression, we'll put that in there. But do you mind touching on what seasonal affective disorder is? Sure. Everyone is evidently different in this. From what I understand, those who are affected by it, not having exposure to sunlight or not getting enough vitamin D is what can often trigger that. And like I said before, for whatever reason, some people can handle more than others. I find that as soon as the sun starts to you know, wane and, and we're getting into those winter months, I just start to be, I'm a little bit more irritable. I'm a little more tired. My uh, vitamin D levels do get lower. And what's interesting is my husband and I can each have the same low levels of vitamin D. And it affects me more than it affects him. So for everyone, it's different, but those seem to be the two factors. It's just losing the sunlight, not getting enough exposure to the outdoors. And then for many of us, which having low vitamin D is evidently chronic in the United States in general anyways. And I'm sure I think in any, uh, you know, like Canada, Alaska, all experience it. And for taking supplements of vitamin D and figuring out ways to get outside. 
are good ways to counteract that. Yeah, for me, it's definitely the fatigue is my biggest symptom of it. Mm -hmm. And a loss of motivation, I think, is another big one. Yeah, I did just get a, it's called a happy light for Christmas. So it's this, um, it looks like a, a tablet, so like an iPad or Android tablet. And all it is, is just a bright white light that mimics sunshine and you turn it on for a few minutes a day. And I have found it to be helpful. I use it when I'm in a windowless office with only fluorescent lighting and computer screens. And that's where it's most useful for me. Yes, that is so important. I love those. When we lived in Alaska, which we lived there for six years, Lord have mercy. I didn't realize you were there that long. Yes. And in both locations, we were stationed at two different installations. One of my jobs, my office was in a basement. And then the other one, I did get a window. And I remember being so happy that I at least had a window because the sun was only out from like 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Uh, But in the offices, it was an automatic, and I don't know how widespread this is, but I worked in a government office. They put sun bulbs in everyone's desk Mm -hmm. so that it was automatically built in. They knew that it was a struggle for many people. And so they put, you know how desks have that overhead Mm -hmm. light that's built in. They put sun bulbs in there and you could flip your switch and sit at work and have your little sunlight on, I thought. Thank goodness these are built in. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we think, need them. I do remember learning too that, that that composition of light, being exposed to it during the daytime helps to regulate sleep as well. Yes. Which is why I don't know if other people notice this, but as winter starts, you almost start to get hungry an hour earlier than you usually would, or you know, it's starting to get dark outside by 4.30 or 5. And so you think, oh, I need to start making dinner because your body is automatically falling into this. Oh, the sun went down. It's time for dinner. Oh, it's, you know, I think we don't realize how much we rely on the sun to tell us, oh, it's morning. Oh, it's night. I used to read this book to my daughter when we lived in Alaska. It was Good Night Moon. And in the book, we'd say, okay, the moon is out. It's time for bed. And because in the summer months, the sun never goes down, (laughs) she would tell me, oh, mom, no, no, the moon is not out. The sun is out. It's not time for bed. And I'd say, oh, well, that's an exception. We (laughs) during this. So for all the, um, you know, challenges that sometimes living in a place like Alaska can present because you don't get enough sunlight in the winter, in the summer, you get almost 24 hours of daylight. So that's kind of a. A, a different aspect, trying to go to bed and getting enough sleep is hard because it's bright outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're overstimulated at that point. Right. And even though we are up the same number of hours and we're doing the same physical activities, when the winter sets in, you automatically start getting tired and experiencing those things that we associate with darkness. And even if you're put in a place where there's 24 hours of daylight, you have that opposite effect where it's 11 o'clock at night or midnight and you're not tired because the sun is out. So we really draw a lot of our energy off of that light, whether Mm -hmm. it's there or not there. Yeah. A less extreme example. I was just in the Virgin islands and in general, I have a very hard time waking up 
before the sun. So if it's dark outside, I have a hard time waking up. I think my natural preferred wake up time is somewhere in the eight o'clock hour, which doesn't always compute with healthcare. <laughs> but right. so we were on Atlantic time, which is an hour earlier than Eastern time where I am. So in theory, that would be a much harder transition to then wake up another hour earlier. But since there was bright light, probably by seven o'clock every morning, I was waking up very easily and naturally in the seven o'clock hour, even though it was six o'clock Eastern time which would be a nightmare for me normally. (laughs) And then coming back home, it kind of all went away with it being so dark and gray here. But I do, I feel very, the more I pay attention, the more I realize how connected my body is to light dark cycles and the seasons. And I think most of us naturally are built that way. Maybe some people acclimate better than others. Again, using my husband as an example, he seems to be a bit of an exception to all that. But that's part of just the natural course of evolution. And, you know, all of us are kind of wired to get up with the sun and to go to bed when the sun goes to bed itself. They used to make, and I don't know if they still do, but I actually had one of these when we lived in Alaska. It's an alarm clock that will gradually brighten as it's time for you to get up. Mm -hmm. I always really liked that and found it helpful. But my husband hated it. So eventually I had to get rid of it because he didn't like the light. <laughs> I have one of those. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if that's a good strategy for individuals in winter who, whether it's just from the isolation or whether it's from, you know, seasonal effective stuff, maybe that could be a good strategy to try one of those alarms that does that. Even your cell phone, I think you can set it up to make your cell phone have that feature as an alarm. Oh, interesting. I didn't know your phone could do it. I do have the clock and what I find helpful about it too, because I also have trouble falling asleep at night Mm -hmm. is you can do a sunset mode on some of them too. So it will start out with a brighter light and then fade over the course of 15 or 30 minutes. So as you get into bed and finish your routine, it gets progressively darker in the room. And I find that helpful for winding down. That is really helpful. And I think so if we're you know trying to do this little checklist of strategies for individuals, there's a lot of research on blue lights and how mm-hmm. looking at technology, whether it's televisions or cell phones, can throw off that rhythm in your mind. Your eyes are taking in that light and there's a chemical reaction that occurs when the eyes see that light. It tells your body, we need the hormones of it's awake time. And so then trying to fall asleep is really hard because your brain is like, nope, there's light. It's time to be awake. So I think having something like that where it slowly, gradually goes down could be Mm -hmm. really helpful. And maybe something I'm trying for myself and it seems to be working is Instead of reading things on my phone at night, I've been forcing myself to read a book. And that really, for whatever reason, I can shut my brain down and I can fall asleep much faster after reading a book Mm -hmm. than I can reading something on my phone. And quite honestly, it's healthier anyways, because your phone can be a a vicious loophole of, ooh, and this new story and that new Mm -hmm. story and Mm -hmm. this thing. 
that could be another podcast for another day of the yes the, the psychological <laughs> impacts that they they have psychologists working for them to keep you on that phone <laughs> so yeah put down get an alarm that the sun or the the light gradually decreases and you're reading a book while that light is decreasing to where you fall asleep more soundly and when you get good quality sleep you can wake up the next day with a better capability of managing whatever is going to happen that day whenever we're sleep deprived we just cannot handle physical or emotional struggles near as well as when we get quality sleep yes i live that lesson over and over where i feel like a completely different person when i'm sleep deprived and it it doesn't take much for me unfortunately and i don't think you're alone i think a lot of us are that way it's a constant bandwagon that you have to jump back on You know, it's so easy to slip off. And I I think a lot of us are guilty of that. I do the same thing and I'll go, oh, I feel so great today. Why do I, you know, let myself get in this place where I'm not like this? And then sure enough, a week goes by. I'm like, oh, I did it again. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what's interesting too, is it's not always, we're not always sleep deprived because we're busy. In mm-hmm. some ways, I'll get more sleep deprived or a worse sleep schedule when I'm not busy because right. I just end up staying up hours on end, either on the computer, watching TV, and then get thrown off on the sleep schedule. And so I think tying back to our initial discussion of isolation and lack of structure we can't assume that because people aren't doing anything that they are actually sleeping well absolutely right I know it is interesting I think we we need to be doing things and when you're not maybe and this is just me guessing but maybe there's this underlying psychological need to be filling my time Mm -hmm. it may not be quality time I may not be doing the right things that are helpful for me But my brain is like, oh, especially on a day when I haven't been doing anything, suddenly I feel as though I need to, you know, I I need to do something, whether it's on the computer or watch this show or whatever. But you're absolutely right. If it's not what you need to be doing or or quality time spent, it impacts your sleep and then it throws off everything. Yeah. So I think we've covered a lot of good topics and there are a few avenues you know, just from what we've talked about where someone could get started of just adding physical activity into the day to both have something higher quality to do and then getting more tired at night or it could start with some sort of light, whether it's attached to the alarm clock or not to help us reset our rhythms. And I'll put some links in the show notes for options of lights. It could be reaching out to a friend And hopefully as you're listening to Christine talk about all of this, you're coming up with your own ideas of what feels good for you to get started getting dressed in the day, making the bed, anything to signal some sort of a routine, normalcy, getting your body onto a a good cycle. Christine, is there anything else you would like to add in summary or or to help someone get going with, with minimizing feelings of isolation and just the winter blues in general? Yeah, I think the hardest part is just picking that one thing. And when you're in the middle of feeling that despair and you feel so overwhelmed, it's so easy to just 
stay in bed or to just stay the course. The hardest part is making that one reach out to whatever it is. And so I think once you get past that hump, you find that the other things start to get a little bit easier too. And if individuals have questions, I mean, maybe they can message you or something and say, okay, I feel like I can do X, Y, and Z, but I'm having a hard time. Where should I reach out? And maybe it's talking to people. Sometimes we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. And calling either a friend or a family member and saying, you know, based on my personality and how you know me, what do you think is the easiest strategy for me? You know, if it's hard for you to pick that one thing, but just pick one and get started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A mutual friend of ours will always say that one good decision leads to another. And that's something I, I kind of hold in my head when I choose something so small, even if it's just drinking a glass of water, when I wake up that that one good decision will lead to another one. Right. And maybe thinking about the times where you face something challenging in the past and you're able to get past it, you know, use that as your motivation. Like, okay, I'm in this now, but what are times that I was successful in the past? I have that strength. I have that capability. I just need to channel it because it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's great, great advice because we've all had long lives ahead of where we are now. And a lot is relevant to help us move forward. Right. Absolutely. We are stronger than we give ourselves credit for. Look at how well we've survived this, you know, this pandemic for now two years. If that was a test to our resilience. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember when we thought it was going to be like two weeks and I was freaking out that it was going to be a month? (laughs) I remember so many of us in the office, some of us who at the time, you know, had kids who needed childcare and stuff. And all of us thought, how are we going to find childcare for two weeks? Little did we know. Yes, Yes. (laughs) it's probably good. We didn't know the whole picture at the time. (laughs) Honestly, I know. I think looking back, we would have, we probably would have looked at it and go, oh, there's no way we're going to survive that. And now look at all of us, you know, there have certainly been some bumps and, and challenges and in so many ways, but at the end of the day, we're still going. Yeah. We're making it. So yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Christine. Is there any contact information you would like to share if people would like to reach out to you? Oh, sure. We can do email is probably preferred, especially because we might be in different time zones. So it could be at the Christine at Morris Clinic dot com or it could be I still have a Yahoo address. I know people may laugh at me, but my name is Christine Crawford and it's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D 2003 at Yahoo.com or the Christine at MorrisClinic.com. All right. Well, thank you very much, Christine. You've given us such valuable information and a lot to think about and to move forward with. Well, I greatly appreciate you having me this morning. Bye. Bye. February is one of my favorite months out of the year. Not only is it my birthday month, it's that time in winter where 
the sun really starts to come back in a noticeable way. And that just lifts my spirits so much and gives me a lot of hope for the months ahead. And here in the United States, it's also Heart Month, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. So on this podcast, we will be featuring heart health related topics for the entire month of February. It's also a great time to think about your own heart health and really a foundational measure of heart health is blood pressure. So for that reason, I am sharing my signature course, how to lower your blood pressure naturally at a deeply discounted price for the month of February. So to get access to this course, you can go to carolinemorris.com. It'll be on the homepage. You can also click the link in the show notes. And I put so much love and effort into this course to bring you the best evidence around what can lower your blood pressure naturally, what the research says you can expect. So, you know, how much will each change lower your blood pressure? And I also put a lot of time and attention into guiding you through how to choose which strategies will be best for you, figure out things that you'll actually do and stick with. And then you get a live call with me as a bonus of this course as well. So head on over to carolinemorris.com. Like I said, it's on sale for the entire month of February and the price will go up come March. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.